0: I like you to turn with me to Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. We're going to have one more sermon on the Sermon on the Mount next week. Uh, and um, today we're going to find that Jesus is concluding his sermon. And it's interesting, I noticed this um, just recently in this sermon. Jesus kind of begins with some of the external things of what it means to live in his kingdom. And as he starts in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes and talks about some of the things the things of the values of his kingdom, he's slowly going from basically the very top of this house, of this building, uh, to now at the conclusion he goes all the way down to what's underneath the house, what's underneath and undergirding uh, the, his kingdom. Uh, and so today in this passage we're going to see the very thing that is the foundation uh, of his kingdom, Uh, And here he's going to give us some warnings, he's going to give us some things to look out for, uh, and we're going to see a foundation. I had not, before 2004, I never ever considered what a house was built upon. Never even crossed my mind, uh, before 2004, that the foundation of a house is actually important. I didn't have a house, mom and dad had a house, at various times I had apartments. I never really cared one bit about what was underneath this house or this structure, Uh, It wasn't until I moved to Mississippi uh, and I began to hear people that had homes discuss the foundation of their homes because in Jackson, Mississippi, in Hines County, and Madison County, and a few other counties up there, uh, there's this string and this line of what's called Yazoo City clay that is underneath all of these homes. And so 30, 40 years ago, whenever they were building a lot of the homes in in Jackson, Mississippi, and in Madison, um, they made sure it had a good, strong foundation but not really understanding the power of the Yazoo clay uh, line that was there. Uh, What inevitably happened was that the foundations of these homes, as thick as they were, collapsed because when it rains, the Yazoo clay uh, expands, it soaks up the water, and then whenever it dries, it shrinks up. And so homes all over the place were... um, uh, were crumbling and cracking, and lots of money was being spent on foundations. Uh, you ha- we have a very similar problem here, but it doesn't seem to be nearly as bad as it is in Jackson, Mississippi. And when Amy and I got married, she had a house, and, um, and so I married into a house. I also married into, I married into a mortgage and a dog. Um, and the very first thing that I was concerned about is what is the foundation of this house? What is it like? Uh, And so I began to think about it that way. What we see here with that issue, something that you know well, is that that's an ancient problem. It didn't just begin with Jackson, Mississippi and the Yazoo Clay up there. It didn't begin here in the swampy parts of Louisiana. It's actually been an ancient problem. And Jesus talks about the foundation of a home even here today. And again, this entire time through the sermon, Jesus has been drawing distinctions between his kingdom and the kingdoms of the world. And we see very two different kinds of kingdoms with different values and different structures. Uh, and ultimately, Jesus is driving the point home that his kingdom has a very different kind of man uh, in the center of it, very different kinds of people. And today, he's going to ask the question and really drive to the foundation, the very heart of the matter, what's the foundation of these two kingdoms? What's the foundation of the two types of people that he's been describing? And essentially, he's asking us to consider what is our foundation as well. Let me read this to you. Uh, Again, this is Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 27, or 24 through 27. Hear God's good and kind word. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you for giving us... This passage of Scripture, uh, Lord, it is, it is a searching passage. It is one that begs us to ask questions of what our foundation truly is. It's easy to be distracted uh, in this moment by so many things. And yet, Lord, you have presented to us the most important thing, to be, have our foundation upon the rock. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand, to know what it means to be founded upon the rock pray, Lord, that you would help us to put our faith and our hope in the rock, your Son, Jesus Christ. pray that you would remove distractions from us as we seek to see your truth here today. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I want you to see three things out of this passage today. First of all, I want you to see that there are two builders that Christ talks about. Two builders. Secondly, he talks about two homes. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about two foundations, two builders, two homes, two foundations. And here's what I want you to see first and foremost from this passage. Starting in verse 24, Jesus tells us that everyone is a builder. It doesn't matter what your occupation is, what your calling, what your vocation, what you do here and now. You are in the construction business Jesus drives this point home to us over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. That by virtue of us being created in the image of God, we are kingdom builders. And I think this is vital to us in our walk with Jesus Christ, is to understand that we are building something. There is no neutrality with God. And we are either building His kingdom, or we're building our own kingdom. We are either building the kingdom of Jesus Christ, or we're hard at work in our daily lives building our own kingdom. Which is in competition with the work of Jesus Christ, and His aim is to show us that we are all building. So, if you come here today and you wonder, um, you know, or maybe you've said, "Well, I'm not really antithetical to God. I don't really um, think uh, I don't really think of myself as being for God either, but I'm not against Him. I'm, I'm just kind of neutral." Jesus says that isn't the case. That everyone who was born actually is building something that is. Good or bad. And today he uses the words wise and foolish in order to drive this point home to us. He says he wants us to be wise builders and not foolish builders. And so what we need to do in this first section when we talk about two builders is to see what it is, who is the wise builder. And that's 24 and 25. Look there again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded upon the rock. The wise builder is this one. He hears the words of Jesus, and he does the words of Jesus. He hears and he does. What does it mean to do the words of Jesus? Just Last week we went over this. Uh, If you didn't hear it, that's okay. I'll recount this for you. Look up again at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. We said last week, what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, is to make your life about Him. And so doing the will of the Father is not getting about doing the busy things of life, trying to make yourself look good in terms of your righteous deeds, and then bringing that to God and saying, look at all the great things I've done for you, because as we saw last week, in the end that will come to nothing. The wise builder is not the one who is out doing a lot of things, a lot of good things for God, but it is the essential gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that makes us different than almost Everyone else out there. This is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. This is the thing that really separates Christianity and biblical Christianity from every one of the worldviews that's out there competing and vying for authority and for a hearing. Is that Jesus Christ says his gospel is the point. It's about him. It's about what he has done for us. Not about what we do for God. That is the essential message of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christianity isn't about what we can do. It's not about bringing things to God and saying, look at how great we are. But it's saying, look at how great your son Jesus Christ is in his person and his work. It's about Jesus Christ. So every week we go over this. And the reason why we go over it is um, because it's essential to being a Christian is understanding what the gospel is. I read an article yesterday in the midst of uh, LSU's terrible game. I wanted to be distracted from something. And so there's an article by a man, man named Randall uh, Balmer who is the um, head of the religion department at Dartmouth College. And Dartmouth is a, is a very liberal institution. Uh, so it's, really, it's shocking to me that he's actually even the, – there is a religion department there. Uh, but he's an evangelical Christian. I don't know where he falls, kind of in the spectrum of what it means to be an evangelical. But 25 years ago, he wrote uh, an article trying to redeem evangelicals from what he saw out there. E- evangelicals were known uh, by kind of the, um, the TV preachers and the TV evangelists. And, and 25 years ago, you know, uh, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger and all these guys, they were mired in controversy. And that was the picture of evangel- evangelicalism. Well, at the time, Randall Balmer said, I want to write a book. ...that is uh, describing what he understood evangelicalism to be. He was at Columbia University at the time, and his advisor said, "...if you do this, you will never get another job in the United States because no one will want to touch you." And he said, "...well, I'm going to do it." Um, he went ahead and did it, and it became a massive success, so much so that he got claim uh, and all of these various things... ...because he went through and described what, what he understood evangelicalism to be. He showed a picture of charismatics, but also Presbyterians and um, Episcopalians, and all of these various groups, and Baptists. And he went in and he just evaluated what they were like. Um, And so this wildly successful book, he said at 25 years he wanted to revisit those evangelicals. And what he did was he went back 25 years later and he began to evaluate and to question these people about what they were doing and and what made them different. And, And it was sad because he found that evangelicalism had changed in 25 years. No longer was the central message of Jesus Christ The thing that separated them from anyone else, because even in fire and brimstone churches, you would still hear about sin and the need for a Savior. He says, unfortunately, you go to a lot of evangelical churches and you'll get an hour worth of praise music, and then you'll have an hour sermon. Can you imagine that, sitting through a sermon for an hour? That isn't about Jesus Christ. It's not about the essential message of the gospel. It's about being good and being moral. Well, there are a lot of things in the Bible about being good and being moral, but our goal here today isn't for me to teach you how to be good. My goal is to teach you about Jesus Christ and His righteousness for you. That is the thing that separates the gospel from everything else. Because it's not about you. It's not about your goodness. It's not about you just simply being a good person. It's about Jesus Christ. And so every week, hopefully, I'm hammering that message home so that I can get it into my thick skull, so that you can get it into your thick skull, so that it can get down into your heart, into my heart, that we need need to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and His grace. And that's the essential message, and that's what it means to be a wise builder, to build upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about the foolish builder. Verse 26 Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Not understanding and grasping the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolish. And it's not because you're not building something. Notice this man is building something. But it's because he's not addressing the real needs of his heart. The real need of his heart is to be righteous before a holy God. And all he's doing is running around doing busy things, trying to look righteous when the real heart issue has not been solved. And the danger of this is a danger of false security. The danger is one that says, look, I'm okay because look at this house that I built. And the house is okay, while underneath the shifting sands are there and everything is coming down. So we see here a wise builder and a foolish builder. Secondly, we see two homes that are built. And I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't give a lot of description about what these homes look like. Uh, if you go home and you turn on HGTV, which is, you know, the home shopping, not the home shopping, the home, I don't even remember, know what it stands for, but it's this thing all about homes, and then they teach you how to work in your home and how you do all of these things in your home. Uh, and Amy and I have noticed as we watch these things that um, if you have a basement um, you might as well just hand over $50,000 because your basement is going to leak and it's going to be terrible. I'm so thankful that we don't have basements in South Louisiana. But ultimately what you know about a basement is it's the foundation of a house. And whenever you turn on HGTV, they're always talking about the foundation and all of these great things um, that they say that you can do on your own. You can actually fix your home if you just watch their shows, if you get their tips, if you do all these things until it comes to the foundation of the house. And then you've got to bring your checkbook and call in somebody who can do the real work because you cannot do the work from the foundation of the house. It is not up to you. But what we always are worried about is how the house looks and taking care of the, 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 the cosmetic things in the house. And Jesus says that cosmetically, the house of the wise man and the house of, of the foolish man, they're both the same. It's the same exact house. There's not a lot, and he doesn't give us a lot of detail of the house because he said it doesn't really matter ultimately what the house looks like. As much as I know we like to, for our houses to look nice and to smell nice and to have all of those various things, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of attention. or doesn't pay a lot of attention there. And the house here, uh, he mentions about the man in the house that he builds uh, in verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Uh, the house represents essentially the work of that you do in building upon this structure. And he says, this man, he's doing the hard work of building a house. It's not easy to build a house. And so when you compare the work of the wise man and the work of the foolish man, they're doing about the same kinds of things. It's not as though one is working harder. It's not as though the man who's building on the rock is working harder than the man who is building um, on the sands. As a matter of fact, the man who is actually building on the sands might have to be working, might have to work a lot harder. Because the sand is always shifting and moving. So it's not a matter of how much work is being done here. And what we see here is that people who are building their life upon the sand, um, they're actually very foolish because they appear secure. Their house may look nice, but underneath it, it's shifting underneath them. So how can you spot a wise person from a foolish person? Jesus has given us this, uh, this information already. Uh, just as a case study, let's very quickly go up to verse 12. Look at verse 12. This is the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And we said in that sermon that every religion holds to this and essentially says that you need to hold to and believe the golden rule. That you need to operate... Um, by the standard of the golden rule. So Christianity is not that much different in terms of other religions when it comes to the golden rule here. And so we see um, that, again, every religion has some form of this. Even pagan religions would say that you need to treat people well according to how you want to be treated. Uh, and so uh, there's not a whole lot different between Christianity and other religions there, except for this very vital difference. The pagan builds his life upon the golden rule. The foolish person builds his life upon the golden rule and says that in order for me to be saved, I must do good. But the Christian builds his life not upon the golden rule, but upon Jesus Christ, who is his foundation. The pagan says, in order for me to be saved, I must be good. And the Christian says, because I am saved, I'm then going to build upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of this building, of of this home, what do you see? The Christian in his building lasts for eternity because the floods came, come, the waters rise, the winds beat upon the house, but it, the house lasts. We all want something to last. We all want something to last into eternity. And the Christian's work ultimately does last, but the pagan's work, the work of keeping the golden rule and doing all of this hard work is washed away. And the sad thing is it's washed away with him. So we see two builders Two homes, and then finally two foundations. What is the difference? What's the ultimate difference between these homes? Well, one is built upon the rock, and the other, of course, is built upon the sand. Where is Jesus giving this sermon? Where is he talking about these things with the disciple? Well, we know he's gone up on the mountain. uh, And so surrounded by him, maybe he's sitting on a very large rock, and he's saying the wise person builds upon the rock. All right, And then he looks down into the valley and he says the foolish person is building in the valley and on the sands of the valley. And in the desert regions, um, like much of the area of Palestine is, um, it doesn't rain very often, but when it rains, it really rains. Uh, it rains, and, and what happens is all of this water slides down the mountains, and it gets into the valley, and then these tor- torrents are, are there, and it just washes everything. And so the disciples would have understood exactly what Jesus is talking about. The foolish person finds a nice shaded area in a valley. It's shaded from the sun. It's shaded from all of these things. And he builds up his house. And then inevitably what happens? The rains come. And all of his hard work is done. It's gone away. Well, Jesus is getting us to the point And he says, uh, essentially, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Well, this is the Sermon, ultimately, on the rock, The point is about Jesus Christ, and he's begging us to ask, what is beneath the facade of our life? All of you this morning, you came to church, and you wanted to present yourself in a certain way to the people that were here. And you said, I need to present myself in this way to these people in order to be accepted, in order to be loved. And Jesus is asking for us, why do you think that that is the thing that makes you acceptable or loved before God? What is beneath the facade of your life? What is beneath that really irks you? What is beneath that you're building your life upon? Um, there's this movie that came out not that long ago called The Lego Movie. Has anybody seen that? The Lego Movie? Yeah, I've seen it. Most of the kids have seen it. It's this great, it's, it's a really great movie. Um, and what you see there, it opens up in this Lego land, this animated film of all these people, uh, Lego people. And, and in this, the, the theme that's repeated over and over and over is that everything is awesome. And there's a song that's, that's the only song that everyone ever sings. All these Lego people, they sing, everything is awesome, everything is awesome, everything is cool. Over and over and over. Because what they want you to believe is that everything in their little world, the facade of their world, and their Lego world as it's being built, is great and awesome. But ultimately, what happens with the main character is you scratch beneath the surface and nothing is awesome Nothing is cool. Everything is a wreck. And so what ends up happening with him is he wants to try to be the savior of everyone in the world. Mark Ryan gets it. He's laughing about it right now. He wants to be the savior of everyone in the world. But ultimately what he finds out is he isn't the savior. He can't do it because his life is a wreck. He needs someone better than him to fix his life. Legos are a great illustration of that for us. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You either think you're your own Savior or you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ because He knows what's behind the facade that you put up. He knows what you're really like. He knows the truth that everything is not awesome. As a matter of fact, things are terrible. The good news is Jesus Christ is for you. If you build your house on the sand, on that facade, if you build your house on what's on the outside, It's going to go away. The winds and the rain and the flood, what is that representing? Well, it's representing kind of in a small way the trials and the struggles of life. What do you like when LSU loses as badly as they did last night? (laughs) What does that do to you? Well, some of you are like, ah, no big deal, good for you. Some of us, it really affects our mood for a long time. There are going to be people as silly as it is who will not be able to talk to someone else for this entire week because they played so poorly. Now... LSU football, fine, we can get over that. What happens when your children play a bad game of football? (laughs) What happens when the coaches of the kids do something badly? How does that affect your life or your grandkids or something like that? But it's not just that sort of stuff. What happens whenever your idols in your life get exposed and the things that you really hold on to whenever those things are tested and tried? What happens when a loved one passes away? What happens when your security, your 401K or your savings... Or your health is taken away from you. What do you like when the wind comes and the rain comes and it starts beating up against your house? What do you like? Well, there's that small little taste and that's a window into our soul in that moment. Which is why I think the Lord gives us suffering and gives us trial to reveal our hearts and to reveal the things that we're trusting in. But then ultimately, Jesus says, there's an even greater trial that's coming. Look at the very end. And the rains fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That word great, very simple. It's a Greek word, megas, which is wonderful because just we get our word mega from it. Mega, big. It's a big fall that's coming. The judgment that Jesus talks about here says you need to be aware of the fact that ultimately... One day we are all heading for a judgment. Notice the wise man, his house went through a trial, and it went through a judgment, but it stood. The foolish man went through the trial, and it fell. So what's going to keep you from being swept away? You need a foundation stronger than the flood that's coming. So what's going to be your argument on the last day before God when the torrent is coming? Are you going to go to him and say, God, this is what I've built. Look at all the great things that I've done. Or are you going to say... Look at my foundation. It's not about me. It's not about the house. It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He's the only one that will allow you to stand on the last day. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would help us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the reminder of that all through this sermon. We thank you that this is the sermon about The Lord Jesus Christ and his work, not about us and our work. And I pray that you would find that our work would last into eternity, not for our sake, but for your sake. And I pray that you would transform our hearts after your image. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.